Welcome to Make That Paper, the show where we talk about all the crazy jobs we do to make the cash we need to pursue our artistic dreams. And to support the Formidable Joy Foundation, who provides access to clean water in Malawi, Africa, as well as the Actors and the Writers Strike Funds. That's right. On today's episode, we are going to pay into the rideshare fare, get engrossed by the short-term host with the most, and we'll probably do a little kidding about house-sitting. We are your hosts, Jamie Parker Stickle. And I'm Jason Bieber. And on today's episode, we welcome a magnificent writer who has traveled the globe, penning scripts for shows like The Shield, I love, Soul Food, again, love, General Hospital, auditioned for several times, and essays for Writers Resist, Angel Flight, Literary West, and Mother Magazine. And she's surviving the writer straight because she lives in Toronto and teaches screenwriting at Toronto Metropolitan University. That's so cool. But you know she's also got a side hustle up there. Yeah, that's right. We've been trying to get her on here for so long, and we are absolutely thrilled to welcome her to her podcast debut. So please make some noise out there in podcast land for the fabulous Leah Langworthy. Yes. Thank you, guys. Thank you. We're super welcome. Psyched. We're so excited to have you. Um, podcast debut. You? How have you not been podcasting? I don't all this understand. Time? I I'm a virgin. What can I say, guys? Uh, the same thing every virgin says. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's what she said. Um, Thanks I, for having me. <laughs> how do you guys know um, Cindy from F- Formidable Joy? Uh, I don't know Cindy from Formidable Joy. I do know that you have a Facebook page, and for your birthday this year, you did a fundraiser for Formidable Joy. And um, I just uh, wanted to throw that into your intro. Oh, got you. I was like, okay, she does some serious work. I love her. Okay, cool. <laughs> We do yeah. some serious research for for our guests on this show because you know what y'all don't toot your own horns enough. Like that's, that's the thing with artists is it's like, oh this they were being humble. Let's go yeah. online and figure them out. Like this if is we, not. If we stopped at the bio that you sent us, no 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 no. I I like to scratch the surface, but but I also am compulsive and I like to dig. Yeah. Yeah, and so I have, I'm teaching now undergrads, and it's such a, um, it's such a blessing, because I feel like, and we'll talk about our teaching, but I feel like they, nobody's telling, people are telling them that that's not good enough for your resume, like doing that student film that you spent endless hours on, and like, it's beautifully edited, and you wrote that yourself, and they're like, but you have to put student film on it and downplay it, and I'm like, oh, no, 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 like, you did all those jobs, like, as well as a professional, like, that was your product, like, you should be proud of that and boast about it, like, don't shy and, like, humble yourself, like, put it out there, like, you're capable of doing these things, so I'm so glad that I get to like get them at this age and tell them like, Mm-mm, no, 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 don't let anybody. I think it's also very American. I think you actors too are very much more comfortable. I mean, not all actors, but I think you have to have that skill set. Right? Yes. We're just like yeah. want to stick our head under a pillow and you know, like, oh my God, I have to talk about myself. Oh no. That's true. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I mean, but that's, I better... that's what the book tour is about. Yeah. Yeah. That's why you have to hire PR, and that's why you have to make uh, money yeah. to hire PR separately than 
Just getting the book. Industry. If you think about it, it's like I've been told many times that my bio was too long and to shorten it. So like, you know, they want to give all the glamour to the, to the actors, the director, the writer. It's like, and the writer is Leah Langworthy next. <laughs> um, but I think like part of the strike is that's happening right now is also identifying that, like identifying the fact that uh, nobody is anything without the words on the page right? Like writers play such a pivotal role and, um, taking a back seat for so long. I, so I came out as a writer and I, acting was always my passion and something I did. And so I wanted to be able to be both. But when I came out here in the early two thousands after school, they were like, um, you can't put writer on your bio. You can't put writer on your resume. You can't say that you did those things. Like you can only be an actor if you're going to be an actor like it just to 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 amplify what you're saying it's like i wasn't even allowed to tell people i was a writer i could only be an actor that was it it's crazy about the hyphenated you know writer director producer yes yes i was doing stand-up for a while and i would say i'm a triple threat i'm a writer and an actor and then i would joke that i'm white um because you know (laughs) um okay so i get it and i'm amplifying that and i'm so excited that you're here and i want to talk about um, the fact that we went to UCR together, and then um, you are super fancy. Like, it's so hard to get jobs as teachers, and you went from writing on shows to getting a professor position at university in another country. Can we talk about that for a second? Because you're not Canadian, are you? No, honey, I'm American. <laughs> African American. How did you, yes, how did you, how did you break the, uh, the international barrier? How'd you get to Canada? I mean, it wasn't like I set out to get a job in Canada. Um, I, at the time, after the program, the Todd father introduced me to someone at UCLA, started teaching at UCLA. Um, it was one class. It was fun. It was nerve wracking. I'll never forget teaching my first class, but um, that's where I kind of began really contemplating and thinking about a long-term teaching gig. Um, and it really wasn't until my daughter approached me she was a freshman in college and she wanted to spend a year with her dad who I had divorced when she was around seven so wow she really wanted to spend some time in San Francisco with him and once that kind of was planned I was like well I'm no no longer tethered to Los Angeles let me look at opportunities outside of Los Angeles in terms of teaching um, I had friends who had left for academia left Los Angeles and yeah. um, the grass is always greener. I was like, wow, you know, they can afford a house. They live in Vermont. They're making films. The films are doing well. It's like they're focusing on themselves. They're not getting sucked into writing jobs that they don't want to do. Right. Um, They make their own maple syrup. (laughs) So so, um, that I put my name in the hat for a handful of jobs and I was offered two. One was in Savannah, Georgia. One was in Toronto. Mm. I uh, got very close to a job in Colorado, one in Denver, Col- and, uh, two in Colorado, one in Denver, one in Colorado Springs. All of these are teaching positions at All universities. All of our track teaching positions. That's insane and incredible. I just want, I just, I want to emphasize how difficult that is for people and how many applicants there are for like a single writing professor position. And you are well, so... I'm not, I'm not trying to minimize, but compared to the real world of writing, it's nothing. It's nothing. <laughs> so there's like maybe 90 people applying for these jobs where in the real world, you're up against thousands of people. When I applied for Imagine Impact and I got my Euro finalist letter, I was one of 40 out of 4, 
thousand applicants. That's one yeah. percent. Yeah. Wow. So four thousand applicants for that gig, which would have I didn't even and they dwindled that forty down to twenty, and I wasn't part of the twenty. Um, so that's what I'm saying. When you're when you're up when you're applying to Sundance, it's yeah. ten thousand. Mm -hmm. When you're applying yeah. to Tribeca, yeah, you know, getting a film or trying to get oh I've applied three times to the Writers Lab, which is for women over forty. Yeah. Never got in. Yeah. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, you know, I'm not minimizing. Yes, there's a lot of yes. people who apply for these positions, but comparatively, yes, a hundred percent, it's nothing compared to some of these high. Um, you know, projects or not projects, programs that are very um, selective, like Sundance. I did want to say, like applying to Writers Lab and other things, and it's you have to be over forty. Like it took me a long time to want to admit that I was over forty, incapable, and I think that that's an issue with a lot of people. Like you're putting your name and your age on something and applying for something, and in this town, that can also work against you and so by the time like I felt comfortable saying that I am 40 I was already past 40 <laughs> like just starting to go oh I should I should I should I should apply for these things which is this year I should start applying for things over 40 now <laughs> I know that sounds terrible but it's a reality of the industry, right? Like well, that's one of those. I think particularly for writers. I mean, for actors. I've, yeah. I, I didn't feel that stigma at all. I didn't never once entered in my mind as a writer. Really, because yeah. I have a friend who's a writer, and and she's written for Working Moms, and she writes here for several shows, and um. She that does like she walks in and they're like, oh, you're the she's over forty and and it's and she feels it very heavily. I'm like, not to say that ageism doesn't exist. I yeah. just don't, I just don't. I have a bigger fish to fry. You know. Got it. Yeah. Them. There's a thing called. Yes, yeah. you're absolutely you correct. Know, so yes. Ageism is real, and I'm not trying to you know you know negate that reality. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying for me, I'm like, what you yeah, have it all. Yeah. I, I just didn't. That was just didn't enter my thoughts. Uh, I, I've definitely been like the, oh, you're old kind of, you know, take on, but at the same time, I just really think it's a, an asset more than a hindrance. Oh, has yes. So, you know, if, if people feel otherwise and we are in a youth culture, we obsess over the young and, you know, the now, the hip, um, but I have years and years of experience that the young and hip don't. So, you know, it's a balancing act, you know, yeah. hire a couple of young folks and, and hire me. <laughs> but you yeah. also have a young hip daughter, the age of which, you know, is really what the youth culture centers around. She's that age. So you're like, I have a first, I have a front row seat. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I, I'm the best of all of it right here. Right. Yeah. I yeah, think that's fantastic. And it's like a whole nother world. Yeah. So are you able to, in addition to teaching in Toronto, are you, speaking of working moms, are you able to uh, write for any Canadian television? Have you? Are you yes. To, Not officially. I did get some development funds, um, and I wrote my first dramedy. I am predominantly a drama, six, you know, 60-minute drama writer. Yes. Hour long. So I wrote my first half-hour uh, dramedy, um, Charity and Chase, about two sisters, African-Americans, who kind of flee the U.S. and end up living in Toronto. Um, it's about two sisters who are kind of 
opposites and they need each other, but they, it's a love hate relationship. Yeah. And, um, it was fun to write something that was lighter. Um, and so I'm in the process of taking meetings, even though I'm no, I'm not in Toronto at the moment. I've been in California for two months. Yeah. But oh, before great. I, leave, I was uh, taking a lot of meetings and will continue to do so when I get back and yeah, yeah. see where it goes. That's awesome. I'm Did you super keep your place in that. California? Yeah. No, 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 no. When we get into our side hustles, I'll tell you, like okay. I'm now in my, this gorgeous house in Berkeley, California, which is a house sitting gig. I got a, I was in San Francisco for six weeks at another house sitting gig. So I was thinking about this in the shower. I was like, I don't know if this is feeding my, my artistic endeavors, but it's really feeding my travel wanderlust. Okay. Oh. So let's, so let's talk about that because I think that that is something that, um, well, that's one thing I like to talk about a lot is this is a little bit different, but also this, but adjacent jobs or, or doing things that like fuel another part of you. And, um, I think that's my writing in the sense that it allows me some inspiration. Yeah. I, I'm a travel slut. I'll straight up tell you I'm a travel slut. I I that's that. the that's I the would, quote of the show. Yeah, I'm a travel slut. <laughs> I love this. I did a year in between, uh, a gap year between high school and college and went to West Africa. I was all naive and romantic. I was going to get into my, you know, African-American roots or my African roots, if you will. And I did a year in West Africa and Cote d'Ivoire and Abidjan. And I have just always you know, saved all my pennies and just traveled the world. Yeah. And when I meet people, they're like, how, how, how have you done these things? It has taken a lot of ingenuity and it's not mm -hmm. like I have a trust fund and I just yeah. you know, travel the world endlessly, but I've been to almost every continent and you know, um, it's, it's been a, um, a lifelong passion and it hasn't stopped. So even though I'm not in some far flung place, um, I'm in Berkeley right now, <laughs> but yeah. You know, it's far flung for many. But, and you're you're but, from Central California. You're from Visalia. That's where I I'm not, I, I don't I don't claim it. I was born in. <laughs> Does it claim you? <laughs> I, I hope not. I claim <laughs> Los Angeles. I was born in, in Canoga Park, in the Valley. Got it. Yeah. So I cool. claim Southern California. Okay. Yeah. We and moved, listen, we I like Visalia. Valley. Oh gosh. I mean. <laughs> It's, we we've, we we go to Three Rivers a lot. We have a I place in Three Rivers. rivers. Okay, right. I claim Three Rivers if I grew up in Three Rivers, but I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Visalia, I, I understand. Visalia's got the closest Jimmy John's. It's. Yeah, no, but you guys weren't raised there. It's like yeah, I, my okay. voice is getting shaky just thinking about it. I'm like, oh, don't make me go back there. I won't. <laughs> I promise. Make you go back there. I promise. Maybe if we, if we need to make a Home Depot run, but that's it. That's it. Yeah. I actually lived for part of my high school years in Farmersville, which is outside of Visalia, and there was hmm. no high school there, so I still had to go to high school in Visalia. It was just, mm. it's just, yeah, no, no, no good memories. Okay, okay. Um, but my point being that you are a California native. I am. Yes. And like, I think raising children like your parents raised, you know, you, I think like um, a more of a wanderlust feeling in general comes from um, this climate, I don't know. It's different because in Michigan, I grew up in Detroit, and I'm like one of the few people that left. You know, it's like most people go back and live within you know five mile five mile radius of where we grew up, or they stay in the same city next door to their parents. Like it's not people don't right. leave, people yeah. stay. I always knew. I, I always knew. Like there were people in Visalia, which is 
I don't know, three, four hours from the ocean that never seen the ocean. Oh my God. And um, so I always had, I knew I was like, I was just bursting at the seams to see the world. Like I was just like, this place could only hold me so long. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I didn't just leave Visalia. I didn't just leave California. I left the country. I went to West Africa. So just to kind of give you, you know, I saved up enough money when I was there. I had a, I had a, um, I was a rotary scholar and um, they gave me a, I forget what they called it, but it was basically a monthly allowance. And in Africa, there's not a whole lot of money to spend. You don't need to spend a lot to live. Yeah. Um, so when it was over, I had enough money. I traveled up and down the East Coast when I got back. Um, then I started Berkeley. And every year in Berkeley, it seemed like I went somewhere in the summertime, whether it was Thailand or Europe. Um, and then it just continued. Every, I mean, I, had, I remember so many times quitting in, tel in television and entertainment, jobs are secular. You know, they're for yeah. six yeah. months or for eight months. So yeah. after my eight months were over, I'm like, where am I going? And I would go and I literally return enough to have my rent money when I got back. But like, it, that was who I am. I mean, I've evolved, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Going to, I once went to the Cannes Film Festival. I was 25. I get a call from my friends, like, we're going to Cannes. I, I literally walked into my boss's office. I was working for Rescue 9-11, you know, the William Shatner show. Yeah. Researcher trying to find stories for the show. I've been doing it maybe two years. I was bored. I was just kind of like, why am I doing this? It's not what I want to do. And she's like, come to Cannes. And I literally walked into my boss's office and was like, I just got a call. I'm going to Cannes. I quit. I love that. <laughs> I love I that. The next day for Cannes. Uh, Cannes was like, you know, it's a week or two or whatever. And then mm -hmm. I ended up traveling. I went to Switzerland. I went to Spain. I went all over. And that You're already there. You're already there. Yeah. I swear to you, you guys, I think and this is, you know, 1995. So this is a while ago. I think I spent maybe a thousand dollars and I was there for almost over a month. Like that's wow. how I just stretched and stretched and stretched it. And I, I remember did. that time when I got back, that was the beginning of like, Ooh, what did I do? You know, cause then I had to find a job and I had to, yeah. so, um, so all I'm saying now, fast forward, you know, I'm a professor, I have, you know, legitimacy, I have credits. Yeah. I still have that desire to travel. And to spend two months in California is not cheap. No. No. So uh, while I'm paying rent in another very expensive city, Toronto. Right. Toronto, yes. So yeah. This trusted house sitter has been a, a godsend. So, so what I, is it? Is it? It's a service that pairs matches you to. It like it, it's, it's, a, it's a website. It's called TrustedHouseSitters.com, and um, you search like my daughter had wanted to go to London, so I typed in London, and. Um, you get you know people who have dogs cats horses bunnies birds whatever lizards and they're looking for people to stay in their house and watch their pets in exchange to um have free there's always always pets right always pets yeah so um i discovered it during covid and i was it was literally like because you're, we were all on lockdown and i couldn't travel so mm -hmm. it was just like i was looking at these houses looking it's like oh a month in southern france right you know i was like looking at yes. Scrolling the internet in my fantasy world of, you know, where, where am I going next? And um, so once things opened up a little bit, um, I put my name in, you know, the ring and I, I got my first sit and that was right after, that was probably 20, 2021, 
was my first sit and I've just, you know, I've done dozens now. So and do you, do you not get paid? Is there an ex Okay. So the exchange is that you get to stay in a beautiful home. Yeah. Okay. And most of them are like the one in San Francisco was my third time um, sitting for them. They have a dog, a cat. Um, they let me use their car. So I don't even have to pay for a rental car. Wow. wow. Um, and it's like a $2 million house. It's, it's eight blocks from the ocean, two blocks from Golden Gate Ugh. Park, like five bedrooms, four bathrooms. Like it's just, you know, it's not like I could ever afford that Airbnb for six weeks. I was there. Yeah. Wow. It's, so aside, aside from, so basically it's like you're renting an Airbnb, an extravagant Airbnb and you're paying through feeding animals. Exactly. And you get to cuddle with nice animals. Oh, that's the best part. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This is really cool. So, Jamie, uh -huh. I'm, I, when we're done here, I'm, I'm going <laughs> I'm on the website. I'm going to look into this. Yeah. Um, okay, the south so, of France Chateau sounded pretty uh, snazzy. Well, you know, I've never done it outside the country. So yeah. when my daughter said she wanted to go to London, I looked into it. Like, honestly, if I were to take Gigi to London, I would only sit a cat because you're really constrained when you have a, a, a dog. You have to walk them in the morning and the afternoon. Yeah. What if we wanted to go to a museum and a show and dinner and be gone for 12 hours or longer yeah. from that house? Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are certain limitations. What if I want to get in a car and drive to Stonehenge or drive to the ocean? Right. Or, you know, I, I, I'm limited by taking care of animals. Yeah. yeah. At the same time, it's worked for me because I'm you know, usually it's LA or, or or here in the Bay Area where I went to college and where my daughter and my ex are. So, you know, I, I'm not looking to take a day trip to Napa. I'm not playing tourist. I'm like right. living here and We're, enjoying yeah. um, everything it has to offer, but I'm not really playing tourist. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So are you, do you teach classes in the summer remotely or are you off for summer? I have three months free. So I have, you know, I have obligations, responsibilities. I have meetings. I have um, today, no, tomorrow I have two defenses for MFA students who have to defend their um, their paper and their script they wrote. So that will be on on um, Zoom. But um, for the most part, I get a lot of time off as a as a professor. So that I love. Yeah. So let's rewind for a second. So you graduated from Berkeley. Did you know that you were going to be a writer? Like, that's what I you... I always knew I wanted to be a writer. I didn't okay. know it was going to be TV. Okay. Um, I honestly thought I would be the, you know, American novelist, be short stories. Um, tried my hand at that, dabbled a bit. But I was working with some of the greatest of greats, my idols, you know. Yeah. Um, Maxine Hunt Kingston was at Berkeley at the time. Um, I think um, Alice Walker taught a class there at the time. You know, these are just iconic yeah writers who i just adored and i was like oh my god i could never write a woman warrior or something on of that caliber but um so it's a blessing and a curse to work with your you know um your idols if you will yeah yeah um, so i always knew i wanted to write it wasn't until after berkeley i went to los angeles um dibble dabbled in different arenas and then i kind of half-assed backed into television and it was just so different after working in development at Paramount for Howard Koch, who's like a huge veteran, old school Hollywood. His dad did Chinatown. Like, yeah. it's like, like the creme de la creme, you know? I felt so much like an outsider, so much like I couldn't see how I could fit into this world. Yeah. Then when I get to television, it was for a spelling show. Um, 
I showed up and there were people that looked like me. There were a lot of women. There were, it was just like, oh, wow, wow. Like this, I, I could see myself here. I feel like yeah. I was, um, you know, I, I could see a, a, a door, a crack in the door and how to squeeze in. Whereas in the old school, old Hollywood paradigm, I just didn't fit in. People golfing at lunchtime, you know, like white tablecloth lunches. I just didn't, it felt so otherworldly. Can I interject yeah. with a quick question? Yeah. Uh, it sounds like you, like, it, 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 the way you fit in, the way you felt like you fit in had very little, if if anything, to do with your style of writing or the or, or the work itself. And it was entirely about um, the, the social Atmosphere. demographics. Yeah, well, I was a new, I honestly, this is before I even started really writing television. So I had, because I was in features and feature development, I had been focusing on features, but then I... Yeah. So what happened is uh, Kevin Arkadai, who's now still a very good friend, he um, had was a, became a showrunner at uh, on a spelling show, and he asked me if I wanted to be his assistant, mm. and um, I was like, okay, sure. And he's an African American dude. He created on New York Undercover, oh, so wow. he was a very very diverse group of writers. But I had never written a television spec at that point, so I'm just saying, just showing up, having Kevin in command seeing the room that he created um one of my first tasks as his assistant was reading a stack of scripts like literally i don't know 20 scripts and him saying okay tell me what you think of these which you know put the best four on my desk tomorrow type of thing and i remember going in and, and these are from caa and icm and like all the great big you know agencies and i was really surprised i thought most of them were really sucked and um, he's like, you really think you could do better? And I'm like, well, I think I can, you know? And he really challenged me and he's like, well, write a spec. So this wow. is aging myself, but my first spec was an Ally McBeal. Wow. <laughs> was a great no, <laughs> but you know, it was my first. Um, and I don't remember my second, but I just kept on writing, 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 writing specs. And Kevin gave me my first job on Soul Food. He later was the producer, showrunner of Soul Food, and that's when I got my first writing gig. That's incredible. That's that's something that we actually encounter a lot on this show. And I know yeah. you were working for him in an entertainment position, but yeah. something that, because this show is about the side hustles that people do, yeah. and a lot of side hustles people do, we end up working for entertainment people. Um, yeah. And and people view you in a very specific way and they and they have a hard time seeing you as anything else. Right. You get stuck in that position for 20 years and yeah, haven't that, advanced because comfort or it's coming or my opportunity will arrive, but it, it won't. You well, know, what was funny with Howard is that I knew I beat out a lot of other people and he was yeah. very quote, quote, impressed initially. He was like, well, you know, you brought this, you brought this, you challenged me, you were this, you were this, you were this. And then fast forward a year or two, you know, there was no opportunity, no potential for yeah. growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, whereas Kevin, you know, my friend's ex-boyfriend, you know, from the moment I landed, he was like, oh, you think you could do better? You know, write us back. I never got heard that. I never heard like, what are you working on? Can I read it? You know? Yeah. yeah. Never heard that. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's there's a there are many different kinds of bosses, but you know there are two here. One is the kind who is just looking at you as a resource for them, and the other one who is looking at you as so, something that they can nurture and not something someone that they can nurture and grow, 
and they you know they see the spark and they take pride in like oh i could see in 10 years her thanking me for the opportunity as she right. you know as she becomes you know what she's going to become yeah yeah, yeah. and so, then there's a million other kind of bosses that i'd rather not talk about so you so how long were you with kevin because you wrote just for that very short-lived it was um okay. Uh, it was a, a spelling show. Um, Kevin was paired with a feature writer. I forget his name, but he wrote Backdraft about the, the fire. You know? Yeah. 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 His, his, I remember his name was Greg, but I don't remember his last name. And um, Greg came from features. So they paired him with Kevin. They were co-show runners. And it was very interesting watching that dynamic. Hmm. Excuse me. Um, you know, now we're going to get into the weeds of like racial power struggle and yeah. power struggle, but you had this you know, white uh, man who had never been in TV and you had a veteran black man who had run shows and it was a bit of a clash of the titans. Um, mm. But it was, it, it all worked out. But the, I think this show got pulled and we were still shooting episodes. Literally, I think they had aired two or three episodes and they didn't test well. And the, like a lot of television shows, they pulled the plug. They cut their losses. Like yeah. why spend million dollars an episode or two or three or whatever it was back then. And um, so, I don't know, it maybe lasted six, eight months. Okay. And from there, what happened? Were you prepared to, like, just to get another writing job? Did you have uh, an agent um, that was helping place you? I think I did get an agent. It's been a while. It was, you know, a lot of jumping around. Um, I think shortly after that, I left. I was dating someone who is now my ex-husband. But then um, he moved to Chicago and I moved to Chicago and that's when I got married. And that's when I had an agent and the agent said, well, you know, you're committing professional suicide by leaving LA. There's not much you can do in Chicago. And she said, but one thing you can do is daytime. Are you interested in daytime? And I was mm. like, you know, the intellectual Berkeley snob that I am. I'm like, daytime, what? And then she, <laughs> you know, I, then she told me how much money I'd make. <laughs> And I was like, yes, I'm interested. Yes. Yes, All of a thank sudden, you. you realize it's a lot easier to be snobby when you have plenty of money. Right. Yeah. So, um, so then there was this, there was this writing, I had to go, I had to jump through a bunch of hoops and in daytime, at least then, daytime now is like minuscule. There used to be dozens of shows and now there's yeah. like three or four left. Yeah. And there was, this is the beginning of the constriction. They saw that they saw the future. They knew that, that this was happening. So they yeah. need new voices, people of color. You know, they really wanted to kind of revive this dying medium. And um, so back then, they paid you to write a spec, which was anomaly. So I got paid to write a spec. Then there was an ABC um, program that they asked me to apply for. Again, um, I don't know how many people applied, but 10 of us were chosen to do like a, I forget how many weeks, but I remember I got paid $1,000 a week and it, maybe it was like 10 week program. Like and an incubator they, program? They, no, they taught you the in and outs of daytime writing. Got it, okay. And it was in New York City and I was pregnant with my daughter when I did that. And the year she was born was 2003, which was the year of another writer strike. Yeah. And yes. I had gotten asked to be, for lack of a better word, a scab. They asked me mm. to write for a show and that they would conceal my identity, that I would be a number. I was like, mm, I'll pass. No thanks. Good for you. Thank um, you for doing that. 
Um, but it's so, it's funny because I hear, I know other people in the program who did do it. They didn't officially tell me, but I, I have heard, you know, through the grapevine. And um, they're now like very, very successful writers. Um, so, you know, people always talk about like, if you're a scab, you know, you're, your career will eventually end. But I didn't see that happen. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's you know, as a, as a writer, and this is very pertinent right now, um, it's a lot more integrity based because you can do it anonymously. You can't, you know, a actors that, you know, you can't, we, we, we can't break the strike lines. You, we, our faces are Everyone, you know, yeah. dead giveaways. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe for, for mocap, but, um, but yeah, you can't, uh, but yeah, it, it takes a lot of integrity and so many writers are once again, having their integrity tested because I'm sure the opportunities come in. Well, for me also, again, I always, I, I, I had just had a baby. So, yeah. um, you know, my husband made a decent salary. I had the luxury of saying no as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, well. not, not to say integrity didn't play a role, but there were a lot of other factors that played a role. A, I yeah. was like kind of grossed out by the whole thing. I, I don't, I'm not into keeping secrets and it was going to be like this big secret. I'm like, ew, why? And then on top of that, the layering was, I'm a new mom, I just wanna be with my baby. I don't wanna write, yeah. I don't wanna write right now. Um, I remember in that program, how it worked was you had, you, you were you were basically like a, um, what's the term, like a ghost writer. So there was a real yeah. writer and, and you, and you were both given the same script. In daytime, you get a script on a Friday and you have to turn it in, you have seven, it's like, you have a week to turn in 70 pages. Wow. Wow. So the real writer was would be used to, for air, their script. So you would write, and then they would compare them. They're like, mm -hmm. to see, like, wow, was Leah's better? Was it on par? Was it worse? Like, what did she do that this person who's been around for 30 years, what did she do differently? So the last weeks are, are that process. And I gave birth, and I had one week left in my contract and had to write one script. And my daughter is, like, on my titty, like, you know, <laughs> and I'm like on my computer writing my last script and I knew it wasn't going to air, but you know, and I kind of half-assed it Yeah. at the same time. It's like, I just knew I couldn't do another, I think it was going to be a, a 15 or 12 week contract. You know, yeah. my first three months with my daughter, I was just like, no, it's too no. hard. I mean, I was doing a writing gig for radio when I just had my son and um, yeah, I had to turn in. I don't know, like a dozen pieces for the next morning for the DJs. I had to turn in like 12 news pieces, entertainment stuff. But like, I was supposed to be able to finish it in eight hours. And it would take me, because I had this new baby and ever, and just everything, it took me, I don't know, maybe 14, 15 hours. And I was like, this is not, this is not, I just, where, no. Where was AI <laughs> when we needed it? No, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's... Leah. Oh. Go ahead, Ben. I'm sorry. I just, you know, we, I wanted to ask you, Ed, so you, about some of your, your, your side hustles uh, that you were using to support yourself. Um, at that time, you said your husband was making good money and you were able to just spend time with your daughter. At what point did it become necessary to... Divorce. Divorce. <laughs> I was getting there. I was getting there. Yeah, nothing um, like uh, nothing like splitting up that mixed income to yeah. uh, 
to put the weight on your shoulders. Okay, yeah. so you got divorced when your daughter was how old? Seven. Seven. Okay. That's right. So were you writing at that time? No, in between? I wasn't at that time. Um, life had taken its, you know, had thrown a couple bullets, literally like life, potentially life ending bullets my way. I had cancer. Oh. Um, my then husband's brother died. We inherited his niece. She came to live with us. So we had a, I had a full plate. Wow. And wow. writing kind of fell, you know, yeah. I was dibble dabbling. I was writing meaning um, specs, but I wasn't working or being paid as a writer, really. Yeah. And, and at that point, had you been working as a writer and getting paid or? Yes, but off and okay. on. Off and on. Okay. Okay. But I had my, you know, I had a, uh, my husband had a steady income, so it wasn't, you know, like the typical yeah. feast and famine reality. Yeah. yeah. But you, okay, so. but you hung on to your agent through this time. <clears throat> I went through a couple agents, I think, during this time. Okay, yeah. So, sense. so life uh, unloads on you. Yeah. So um, you know, after divorce is when I really, ha I was like, okay, how do I make this work? You know, I, I have to figure out how to revive a, a older writing career. I have to be a single mom. I have to put, put you know, food on the table. And one of the first things I did was Ubering. Um, and this is like back when it, Uber wasn't, I think it was before Lyft even existed. Yeah. Um, and, right. and it was, it was okay. You know, it was, uh, were you in Chicago still or had no, you, no, I was back in LA. Okay. Okay. So I, we skipped. So Chicago, my daughter was born in New York city. So then we did some time there and we moved to New Jersey and in New Jersey, you moved back to LA. I was still married. And then when I got divorced, I got divorced in LA. So okay. I lived um, I moved to this quaint little place in the Hollywood Hills. Excuse me. And um, it was two bedrooms. And so my daughter would spend her summers with her dad. So I also had her room to rent out during the summer. So I mm -hmm. did that. Um, and I found that a lot less a taxing and be more, um, uh, you know, I made more money. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. That is smart. Yeah. Sorry, that's smart. And it was a lot of, you know, interesting people came through. So yeah. I had, um, I'm still friends with a half handful of people that came through and stayed in my daughter's room over the summers. And, and there were a couple that I would never have back. <laughs> so. I'm waiting for this script. I'm waiting for this film or this script uh, series because I think that there's um, a lot of stories in that you know, um, we've known people who have done the same thing or they who we had friends who leave every summer and they rent their apartment out for the summer, sublet it. And um, it gets interesting. It gets interesting really fast. But it is good money because people are like willing to pay. But for it's even more interesting if you stay there. If you rent I know. a place, you're like, you're gone. You know what I mean? But yeah. like if you're there, you know, it's like, that's a whole nother story. And... The crazy thing is, I look back now and I'm like, "What was I thinking?" I only it only was a one bathroom. Oh, oh God, wow. yeah. That <laughs> like, you know, it, even as a renter, when I travel, if it's a one shared bathroom, I don't want to stay there. No. Yeah. And, I mean, I, we've had roommates before. I've you know, we've all lived sharing one bathroom with someone you know. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but. When it's anonymous like that. Now, so was this when you were renting your daughter's room? But that was, was that pre Airbnb or? No, it's Airbnb. You were doing it on Airbnb. Okay. 
so it was like formal arrangement through the website and uh, in the early days of Airbnb, I don't think it was quite as easy to really vet people. Um, no, but when I was there, you know, I yeah. would meet them. So, but back up, before I did that, I did do a house swap back to my travel slut ways. Oh, yes. Yeah. Right after my divorce, I, I was like, the thing that makes me feel most alive is traveling. So I did a house swap in the south of France. My little <laughs> two-bedroom um, unit, and it was right by the Hollywood Bowl. Um, lovely little place, but I'm talking small, okay? Yeah. And yeah. I got a house with, like, I don't know, four or five bedrooms and a pool in the south of France. Huh. <laughs> and we swapped cars. And they, those people stayed in your, in your Hollywood home. And okay. because the Europeans have so much time for vacation, I think it was, like, six-week swap. Mm. Um, I, actually, it was a four-week swap, and I added a week before and a week after. So I was in Europe for six weeks, and um, it was lovely. So that kind of kind of wetted my whistle, like, you know, okay, well, how else can I use this property to, you know, help me, mm -hmm. um, help me survive? Yeah. But in terms of people who I'm still friends with who stayed was one German dude, and he came with, like, all these suitcases. I was like, dude, you're here for, like, two weeks. Like, why are, do you have so many suitcases? And it turns out he was a filmmaker, and it was camera equipment. Mm, That's okay. amazing. And I said, well, show me some of your work. And he showed me, and it was beautifully shot. And I, that day, wrote a short, a short script, and we shot a short while he was there. I was wow. like, I'm putting this man to work. <laughs> yeah. So he wasn't, he didn't come to town for a job. He brought all his equipment. Because he, he, he like, went on a helicopter ride and took aerial views of, of the Hollywood sign and of the coast. He just, he wanted to create a bunch of B-roll. He was doing a lot of music videos in Germany. And mm. so he wanted the, the LA kind of B-roll in his, in his, in his yeah. um, repertoire, if you will. His catalog, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's so smart. He, and it was one day he went to Santa Monica and he came back and these beautiful shots of the pier or the beach, seagulls. It was just like, I was like, damn. But he wasn't a storyteller. He was just, he was a DP. Yeah. And so I was like, hey, that's shooting something. <laughs> that's and, smart. And, Very uh, good. Yeah. Thank you. We <laughs> <laughs> shot it like in two days. You know, it was fun. It was lovely. Um, but yeah, he's one that he still comes back to LA, still working in the industry, still reaches out, you know, asks for introductions here and there, or people that he met during his time in LA with me. And um, yeah, you know, he's a good guy. And uh, so a couple people like that. Yeah, that's oh. awesome. I love that. I mean, I think like, it's so interesting what we what we do when we're young or what we do when we are artists and don't have the financial um, means that a studio has or et cetera, um, we always think, like, you just wrote that and shot it with this incredible, talented DP, and you're a talented writer, and you did it on your own, and you created something. And that's the idea that I, like, I try to emphasize when I teach is, like, you don't need everything they say you need. You just need some talent, and you need time, and you need to just be focused on that thing. You know, don't make it about the, the end goal being working for a studio and making something for them, even though, you know, that's a good job to have. But that's a corporate job. Like, you're not going to be creating the stuff you want to create all the time. Right. So make sure you're satisfying your art by 
by doing these things and bartering with people. You know, like my big thing is always barter with people. Like you have something to offer them. It might be mm-hmm. that you're a writer, but that's so valid because you see a lot of DPs who aren't writers and you're like, you can't sometimes even see through their beautiful um, filming because they wrote it themselves. And you're like, what is this? I well, don't know what lot, this a is. A lot of, I see um, people who are, and I, I fall into this category too, is you want it to be, you're a perfectionist. Yes. And for me at that moment, what was really liberating and, and freeing and, um, fun was I was just like fuck it you know it was like mm-hmm. literally if you write something in two days it can't be that good do you know what I mean <laughs> if you shoot yeah. something in two days it's probably not gonna be that good and it, it turned out okay but is yeah. it gonna win like you know is it gonna get into Sundance no but I was still nonetheless really fun I was really proud and happy that we made this short film in a matter of like I don't know like from he was only in my house for three weeks yeah and one That's of those weeks, he went to Yosemite you know what I mean mm-hmm. so it's just it was very empowering to just say i'm going to do this and we did it and it, it and you have a final product and you know yeah like i said is it going to win awards no but it was yeah. fun so while you're renting your room out you are are you employed as a writer or are you freelance are you on I'm a show i'm doing a bunch of things i'm hustling you know it really wasn't until our mfa program that I really allowed myself to dabble in other mediums outside of screenwriting. Yeah. Um, I love that that program forced us to do a, you know, what they call a second focus or whatever they call yeah. it. Yeah. And I did nonfiction, personal yeah. nonfiction. So that opened, you know, I was really, I've always loved memoir. So that opened up that, but I mean, I didn't get paid a whole lot. I wasn't like making money doing that, but right. I did get some pieces published. Um, in terms of what I meant by the hustle is just like interviewing for jobs, interviewing, yeah. writing treatments, you know, not getting paid, all the things that why WGA now is on strike. You know, yeah. like I was in the business of taking meetings. Yeah. And I didn't yes. get paid for those meetings. Right. I was in the business of, you know, writing treatments. And I didn't get paid for those treatments. Right. I was in the business of development hell. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 100%. Um, so that's what I meant by the hustle. Like, you know, yeah. you hustle, hustle, hustle. You have like five pots on the, on the stove. You hope one hits and you know, that's yeah, hundred percent. Um, so then I just want to say what, when did you work on the shield for a minute? Because <laughs> one of my favorite I shows, I, yeah. I, I was, uh, working on a cruise ship had a lot of free time and just watched the whole series. I want to hear about the cruise ship now. Oh yeah, <laughs> you you can hear about that. That was a side hustle too. But the shield is very specific. I mean, I know you said you did hour long, but were you on the writing? Were you a staff writer for the shield? No, because I, I wrote a um, a freelance episode. So Glenn Mazzara, who is always, 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 back in the day before it was popular, has always been a champion of diverse writers and diversifying the writer's room. And I think there was one person of color in his room and maybe there was a team of two women um, writers. And so he did a open call to agents for a gig to write a, 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 um, an episode. And I landed it. And at the time, I was living in New Jersey. I flew out. My daughter was maybe one. And I flew to LA um, and pitched my concepts and thoughts. And you know, honestly, I hadn't watched the show before beforehand. 
No. I, I, this was, I think, the third or fourth season? I can't remember. But I binged, watched it. Kevin, my friend slash ex-boss, had written on The Shield the year prior. So nice. he knew the ins and outs of the shows. Uh, he knew the people, the personalities. So he somewhat prepped me. Um, and yeah, I went in, pitched my concept, gave it my all, felt good about it. But you know, as an actor or writer, you often feel good when you walk out and you just don't always get the gig, right? Right. You just yeah. have to let it go and forget about it, move on to the next. Um, yeah. So I got it and uh, went back to Jersey and, you know, uh, it was done remotely when things weren't really done remotely back then. Yeah. And uh, I did go back to LA when they shot it. Um, and I remember really annoying Glenn Close because I couldn't believe she was, you know, saying my words that I had written. And I was just like, I wrote that. I wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. And I was just such a fan of hers. And she was just kind of like, who is this lady? Can you please get her out of my face? I'm the writer, man. I'm the writer. That's amazing. I, she, I love that. I think she did come in in the fourth season. Yeah. So that was the yeah. fourth. Yeah. And um, so that's how it came about. And then we moved back to L.A. shortly. I got a new agent after that because once you write that on the shield, then all these doors open. And um, but but the doors didn't open at the, uh, on the shield like they like it was the one episode and that was it. There was no. No, that was it for that. Huh. Um, and, you know, uh, I think we moved back to L.A. maybe within the following year. It's all a blur. <laughs> you know, your life when you look back, you're like, what that happen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, especially when you move as much as you did, yeah. Hey, you guys are moving out. Is your husband? Is your ex-husband in the business, or he's in something entirely different? Entirely different. Don't you remember? Okay. He has a stable income, <laughs> right? Yes, yes. Funny, I just took my daughter to see Barbie yesterday, and he, the reason he we could move back to Los Angeles, he got a job at Mattel. Uh, That's amazing. I have a I have a, a student who I taught at AFI who yeah. um, is now an assistant to a high powered produce um, director, and um, he called me yesterday and I find it very rewarding that I still have meaningful relationships with a handful of my students and he's one of yeah. them, yeah. and um, he's in this conundrum because he's with this high powered assist um, director, um, and but he's making very little money. Um, the, he's on a movie, so the movie, you know, he's a line item. He's being paid as an assistant. He's not his assistant normally, you know, just for the movie. Yep, yep. The movie is in post-production, so he has, like, I don't know, six, seven weeks left, and he was just reached out to about his previous kind of work, which was content. And I think it was for Bank of America or Time or something. And yeah. he would phone to Atlanta, paid, I mean, put in a hotel, and paid more than he would make in a month on his current job for three days' work. And he's like, Leah, I'm in this conundrum. I don't know what to do. And it was like really hard to kind of um, give him sage advice because a part of me is like, you got to do you, boo. You know, you got to yeah. pay the rent. Yeah. At the same time, you, he is with someone who could could open doors. Question is, will he open doors? Yeah. Um, and it's like you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot, you know, with this really high profile director that you're assisting, and by saying like, oh, I'm out for three days, you know. But at the same time, you do want to show that you you have your own shit going on. So I don't I didn't I didn't really give him a clear answer, but you know he was just like, how do I navigate this? So yeah, I mean that's a bit of a sidebar about someone else. But that's yeah, no, but it's important. And 
I I always get concerned like, oh, do, you should ask that person that you're working for. <laughs> like, listen, what do you think I should do? Are you going to open a door for me or what? Um, it's not always that easy to do, right? Like they don't make themselves available to that. But circling back on that sort of sidelining because it's teaching, did you go back to get your MFA in screenwriting so that you could take positions as an instructor? Well, as uh, I knew I wanted to potentially have the option to yeah. do what I'm doing now. Which yeah. Would, uh, be, I'm up for tenure next year. So wow. to be a tenured professor, you have to have a master's. Yeah. And so I, um, yeah, so that's what I, I, I didn't really have like this master plan with, you know, flow charts and I want to be here by this time. Yeah. But I knew that if I ever wanted to really get into academia, I had needed this degree. Yeah. And I also, a, yeah. I also love school. I do too. So I love teaching. I love being in the classroom and I love being a student. So for yeah. me, it was like a no brainer. Yeah. God bless yeah. both of you. I agree. I agree. I just want to say thank you so freaking much for being here. You are, I love the way you talk. I love the way you write. I think that you are so talented and special and I'm so excited to see what else you have come out. Like it thrills me to know when that you're doing a dramedy in Canada and I, I'm like psyched. I'm and psyched. you should do more podcasts because you're a very you're, good podcast You're guest. a very good podcast. Host. I think of myself as being so boring and dry, like most writers. No, and no. you have... Dry, to... yes. Boring, no. You come.